Our scripture reading this morning is Romans chapter 14. We're going to focus on the first 12 verses, but we'll read the entire chapter just to gain the entire context. So in this chapter, the Apostle Paul teaches about Christian liberty, Christian freedom in Christ, and how that relates to uh, the Christians and their relationship to each other. So Romans 14, beginning at verse 1, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on <coughs> one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is, thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the, the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. As far the reading of God's word let us now, in preparation for 
uh, our text and the preaching of God's Word. Let's sing together Psalm 101, stanzas 1, 2, and 3. text for this morning's sermon again is Romans 14, the verses 1 to 12. We have just read those verses together. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, 10 days ago on October 31st, we celebrated Reformation Day. And one of the main truths that the Reformers reformers held on to was the truth of sola scriptura, or by scripture alone. Now, what does that mean, by scripture alone? Well, it means that the Bible alone is God's word to us. Only the Bible, only scripture. And so the Bible as God's word is the only foundation for our faith as Christians. The Bible alone has authority to tell us what we must believe and how we must live before God. Now, this truth of sola scriptura <coughs> led the Reformers also to hold on to the truth of something we call Christian liberty or Christian freedom. Now, what is Christian liberty or Christian freedom? 
Well, it, it is that no one, <clears throat> not the Pope, nor any man or woman, can add commandments or teachings to the Bible for Christians to follow as a matter of obedience to God. Christians are not, <clears throat> excuse me, not bound to obey man-made rules. And all the reformers taught about this. <clears throat> we see a good example of this with Ulrich Zwingli in Switzerland. The Reformation in Switzerland really took off after a controversy about sausages. Yes, sausages. It was Lent in the year 1522. And during this time, nearly everyone did not eat meat. It was just standard practice. It was considered a true Christian service to do this. Well, during Lent of this year, a man who owned a print shop, he served some sausages to his tired workers. And this constituted a breaking of Lent. And so, believe it or not, as a result, the Zurich Town Council arrested the printer, the man who owned the print shop. And in response, Ulrich Zwingli preached a sermon about Christian freedom or liberty. He argued rightly that the man who owned the print shop was free to serve the sausages, and the workers there were free to eat them. Didn't matter if it was Lent or not. After all, the Bible nowhere forbids him to do this, so he was free to do it. And this is something that our text this morning is getting at as well. You see, the matter of Christian liberty or freedom was important, not only during the Reformation, it's been an important matter all throughout church history. And we see one example of this in the church at Rome. Paul writes to the believers in Romans 14, and the message he wants to get across to them is also the theme for this morning's sermon. And that theme is as follows. Since all believers belong to the Lord, we must not judge or despise each other when it comes to things not clearly laid out in Scripture. We have two points. First of all, Christian freedom can lead to conflict. And second of all, Christian freedom, we'll look at Christian freedom in light of Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the church at Rome was a mixed church. And by, by that, I mean it was made up of both Jews and Gentile, <clears throat> Gentiles. And this was the case for many churches in the time of the apostles. And the Bible shows us that this sometimes led to problems in the church. Sometimes the unity between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians was difficult to maintain. Now think about the Jews for a moment. For so long, they had lived as the people of God. And they followed the Mosaic law with all its regulations. Laws about how to sow crops in your field. Laws about clean and unclean food. And by and large, everyone acted the same. Everyone knew the code of conduct. And so generally, it would be a peaceful situation. These conflicts would not have come up very often. However, things change after Christ's death and resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The new covenant had now come into effect. And many of those old laws were now gone. 
Not only that, but God's people included anyone who believed in Christ, whether Jews, Greeks, Romans, you name it. And during this time of the early church, many Jews often kept living according to the Mosaic law. That's what they had done for so many years. In Mark 7, Christ declared all foods to be clean. And believers after the time of Christ no longer need to avoid eating animals like pigs. Yet many Jewish Christians still could not bring themselves to eat meat that was considered unclean in the Old Covenant. Those laws were just ingrained in them. To eat pig meat would still feel like a sin. And so many of them would still refrain from eating that kind of thing. Then at this time, the Gentiles started coming into the church, and guess what? When people like the Apostle Paul told them about about the Lord Jesus Christ, and they believed, they repented of their sins, they put their hope in Jesus Christ, still no one told them that they had to stop eating meat from pigs. And that's because they were allowed to. Christ had declared all foods to be clean. And to many of them, that was great. After all, bacon is delicious. However, if during their time of fellowship, the Gentiles ate pig meat in front of their Jewish fellow Christians, it could produce conflict. The Jewish believer might be tempted to judge the Gentile for eating this kind of meat. And the Gentile believer might be tempted to despise the Jewish believer. He might think, why doesn't he just get over these food laws? Christians don't need to worry about that anyways. I wish he would just stop bothering me about this. And it could go the other way too. Some things the Jewish Christians engaged in though not sinful in themselves, might remind some of the Gentiles of things they did in their pagan past. Right? The Jews, they often drank wine in moderation, and the Gentile Christians may have stumbled over this. Right? Seeing as their old pagan lifestyle often led them into drunkenness. And these sorts of divisions do not need to exist only between Jew and Gentile either. They could exist between two Gentile believers. Maybe one believer associated certain behaviors with his old pagan lifestyle. Maybe he felt he could no longer do that as a Christian. Another believer might feel no such association at all and see no problem with it. This could lead to conflict between them. The believer who gave up the practice might judge the person who did not. And the believer who did not give up the practice might look down on the person who did. Now, these sorts of things will happen in the church today, too. It's unavoidable. You see, not everything is directly spelled out in Scripture. And not everyone is going to see things exactly in the same way. Let me give you an example, maybe a a bit of an older example, but that's okay. Uh, In years past, there may have been conflict about whether or not Christians are permitted to own a TV. 
Maybe one believer said, no, no, Christians should not own a TV at all. Perhaps another believer said, yes, we're allowed. Scripture nowhere forbids this type of thing. And these sorts of disagreements have the potential to create serious conflict in the church. And if we do not take care, these sorts of things can destroy the fellowship in this church too. And that's what Satan so, that's what, he, that's what he wants. He wants to disrupt and destroy the unity between believers in the church. He would love to see us fighting about these things. He wants us to take our eyes off of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when it comes to Christian liberty or Christian freedom, it takes wisdom takes love, takes an attitude of, of service, of building each other up. So how do we move forward? How do we as church handle these sorts of things? Well, our text shows us the way, and that also brings us to, into our second point. Well, the first thing we must do when it comes to Christian liberty is to keep in view what is really important. And this is something that our text emphasizes. What is that thing? It's this, every believer belongs to the Lord. Listen to verses 7 to 9. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. And we see believers belong to the Lord. And isn't that beautiful? Isn't that what we should keep our eyes fixed on every day? Isn't that the best thing in the world? We belong to to the Lord in body and in soul, both in life and in death, to our, our faithful Savior. See, by nature, we belonged to the devil. And how awful that is. We were in his grip. And Satan does not care about you at all. In fact, he has nothing but hatred for you. All he cares about is keeping people in slavery to sin. All he wants to do is to drag people down with him into hell. He does not care about you one bit. And that would be us if it were not for our Lord Jesus Christ. But God sent his Son to rescue us. And the Son of God came to this earth in love. And he shed his blood on the cross, bearing the wrath of God in your place to pay for your sins. So Christ has ransomed us with his blood. That means he's bought us back. He gave his blood to free us from the clutches of the devil. He, he bought us so that we would be free from slavery. Slavery to sin. 
And you can know that you belong to Christ and that your, your brothers and sisters in the Lord belong to Christ. Whether you live or whether you die, you belong to the Lord. That will not change. He's our Lord. He's our King. And it can be so easy to lose sight of how precious this truth is, right? Satan wants us to uh, turn away from this truth, to ignore this truth, but we need to remind ourselves of this truth every day. We belong to the Lord. And this truth, as we remind ourselves of it every day, it's going to shape, it's going to color everything we do as Christians, everything in life. It's going to change our lives week in, week out, day in, day out. And this is going to affect how we treat our fellow believers in the church, also when it comes to Christian liberty or Christian freedom. It affects how we handle things not directly spelled out in Scripture. See, one person takes part in something that he feels is okay to do. And since he belongs to the Lord, he does so in thanksgiving to God, to his Lord. Right? All the war- world belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he partakes in created things in honor of his king. Another person abstains from that same behavior which he feels is sin. And he does so because he wants to please his Lord who bought him. And that's how we must view each other when it comes to this sort of thing. The person who partakes is giving, is giving thanks to his Lord. The person who refrains is honoring his Lord. And how does this affect us? Well, let's take the example given in our text about certain, eating certain types of food. The one person is convinced that it's okay to eat any kind of food. He must not despise his brother who thinks it's wrong to do so. Right? Instead of the Gentile Christian saying about his Jewish brother in the faith, no, this person just needs to get over this clean and unclean food issue. Instead, he would say, my brother is not eating something like bacon because he's trying to serve the Lord. If he's trying to serve the Lord, what a beautiful thing that is. May I never despise him for it. Listen to verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Right? If Christ has accepted the person who is weak in faith, who are you to reject him or her or to despise him? No, we should welcome him as the Lord has done. Let's also view things from the person who abstains from certain things. We'll take the example of eating certain foods. How should such a person view the one who partakes in them? Well, he must not judge him or her. This person also belongs to the Lord. God has welcomed him. Instead of judging, what should this person say to himself? I might not agree with what my brother is doing, but this is also not clearly laid out in Scripture, so I will not pursue this further. I will still welcome him as a brother or sister. Now, that can also be hard. I mean, this sounds a bit like moral relativism. 
And furthermore, if you think your brother or sister is sinning against God, then you do have a duty to talk to that person about it. Now, how does that apply to the situations of Christian liberty? Now, who gets to decide what is within Christian freedom and and what is not? Well, there are several things you can do when you face these sorts of situations. Perhaps there's an area where you think all Christians should get in line with a particular behavior or practice, but your brother in the church disagrees with you. What do you do? Well, you can certainly talk to him or her about it. And if you do, make sure you do it in love. Do it with a humble attitude. You should also be able to point from Scripture exactly where this person is going wrong. Well, you can also get advice from other believers in the church to see if this is something you should pursue further. The thing is, not everything is going to be spelled out exactly in Scripture. You may not judge your brother or sister if things are not clear. And if that leaves you dissatisfied, then remember what our text says. Each person has to give an account of himself and herself to God. Right? At the end of the day, Christ is going to be the judge. He will leave things in his hands. As verse 12 says, So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Remember, at the end of the day, we are not the judge of all men. Yes, if our brother or sister is sinning, we have a duty to talk to that person. But yet... When things are not clear, Christ is the, the Lord is the judge. It's important for us to see this. Our text emphasizes caution in this regard. It comes from the text. Listen to verses 3 and 4. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Right? What our text is warning about is that you know, some Christians act like the master of their fellow Christians, telling everyone else what they can and cannot do, even when such rules are not found in Scripture. And our text warns us that we may not do that. You see, if we do do that, we may end up causing someone to break God's commandments for the sake of our own rules. This is what Christ chided the Pharisees for doing. Right? They created their own rules, and they made the people follow them, and they ended up causing the people to break God's commandments for the sake of following the Pharisees' rules. Right? So we must be on guard. Think also of the example of Zwingli and the sausages that I mentioned in the time of the Reformation. The town council arrested the print shop man for serving the sausages during Lent, and by doing that, they themselves sinned. And apparently, keeping this non-biblical commandment that had the appearance of godliness was more important than having the strength to put in a good day's work. Right? If we're not careful, we could make similar errors. Take the example of the, of the TV again. 
you know what, I personally do not own a TV. I think it's better to spend my time and money on other things. However, it would be wrong for me to proclaim to you that it's a sin to own one. Can't do that. So we must take care. This matter of Christian liberty is important. There's a few other things we should look at in this regard. We must take care that we take part in Christian freedom in love. Something Romans 14 is emphasizing. Christian freedom is just that. It's freedom. Any Christian will at times give up his Christian freedom for the sake of his brother or sister in the church. Paul says in verse 13, Let us decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. And again in verse 15, If your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Remember what really counts. We all belong to the Lord. And Satan wants to disrupt the fellowship and unity between us as Christians. We want to do our utmost to maintain the fellowship between believers. A Gentile Christian in the time of Paul may say to himself, you know what, I know there's nothing wrong with eating bacon, I can do it freely. However, my Jewish brother in the Lord is distressed that I'm doing this. And so I'm going to willingly, freely give up eating this meat for the sake of my brother. I don't want to act selfishly. I want to act in love because I love my brother and my sister in the Lord. So at times we, we give up our Christian freedom so as not to put a stumbling block in someone else's way. And yet with that I also give this caveat. There are times when we do not give up Christian freedom. And we do not give it up when someone in the church wants to make everyone else a slave to his or her own personal rules. This is something the Apostle Paul did. Right? Paul says in Galatians 2 that some people in the church wanted to spy on the freedom he had in Christ in order to bring him into slavery. And Paul says he did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So we must take care that someone in the church does not try to make everyone else a slave to man-made rules. Stand firm. Otherwise, much harm would come to the gospel of Christ. Well, finally, let me end with a few last notes on this important topic. Christian freedom is, of course, only freedom when it stays within the bounds of God's law. We must never use Christian liberty as an opportunity to sin. Because that is not freedom, that is slavery. We must be on guard against that also. We could do this in a number of ways. You know, I think of the children... And the teenagers among us, right? Children and teenagers are required to obey their parents in the Lord. 
And you cannot use Christian freedom to disobey your parents' household rules. You see, parents often do make rules in addition to the Bible for children to follow. That's how they best manage their households as they see fit. And God has given them that authority. So a teenager is not allowed to say to his or her parents, well, nowhere in the Bible does it say that my curfew has to be at such and such time. I don't have to follow that rule. Well, yes, it's true. The Bible nowhere directly says anything about curfews. The Bible says a lot about obeying your parents, obeying their rules. So a a teenager cannot use Christian liberty to disobey a curfew or disobey their parents. You are bound to obey your parents. And a similar concept goes for all Christians, young and old. Christians may not use their freedom to indulge in sin. Remember, sin is not freedom. It's bitter slavery. And Christ did not make us his own so that we would embrace sin. Far from it. The Spirit says through Paul in Galatians 5, You were called to freedom, brothers, Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And this has happened all throughout church history. People sometimes embrace simple things, claiming they have the freedom to do so. And we must be on guard against that also. If you find that using Christian freedom results in you sinning, then you ought to curb your freedom. Let's use that example of the TV again. It's true. It's not a sin to own a TV. But if your TV is causing you to sin, then you need to get rid of it. Right? Jesus says, your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole person to go into hell. So we must be on guard. Beloved, we belong to the Lord. It's a glorious truth we confess from the Bible. Christ bought us to make his own possession. He he bought us to set us free. Let us then use that freedom to serve him, to give thanks to him in all things. Let us serve Christ in love. Let us serve each other in love. Let us build each other up, being eager to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Amen.